Hey, I'm Alan Hunter. You're listening on the Pantheon Network. Grey's Anatomy, the most iconic binge-worthy drama, is back, along with answers to the biggest cliffhangers. Will Teddy survive? Will Joe and Link finally find happiness together? Meredith returns along with fan faves like Arizona. You can now stream every episode of Grey's ever on Hulu and new episodes next day. Watch new episodes of Grey's Anatomy Thursdays at 9, 8 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. Liquid bleach, liquid bleach, Clorox makes clothes bright. But what about these cloudy wine glasses? Add glass cleaner to my cart. Adding Clorox disinfecting bleach to your cart. What? No, for glassware. Clorox can also make glassware sparkle, keep flowers fresh, and remove chocolate, wine, all your usual stains. Rude. Clean anything with the versatile Clorox disinfecting bleach. Discover more hacks at Clorox.com learn. If you look for it, every day has cause for celebration. Celebrate a friend for their promotion baby wedding life thing. Celebrate yourself for keeping the couch warm. It's no easy feat, especially if it's a big couch. Or maybe you just want to celebrate living in 2023 where you can get beer, wine, and spirits delivered from Drizzly in under 60 minutes without leaving said couch. So download the Drizzly app or go to drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y.com and get your favorite drinks delivered today. I don't know the last time that we did an episode of Birthday Twins on the Imbalance History of Rock and Roll, but it is time to renew my friend Ray Coob here. Marcus Goldman with you as well. Birthday Twins are people born on the same date in the same year. Some people think it's just like born on the same day on different years, but our definition is they were born same day. You could even guess that some of them are born at the same time on the same day or around the yeah. same time. That's really strange when you think about any of it. But when you think about these two guys that we're going to talk about today on the podcast, it's even stranger because of geography, I guess. As is strange, the geography of our two sponsors Crooked Eye out here in Pennsylvania and out west in Las Vegas, we have an American-made, homegrown, home-sewn sock company, Boldfoot, that is sponsoring the imbalanced history of rock and roll. Yeah, make sure you go to boldfoot.com, their website, and check out all their socks. They're really good. And uh, if you're there and you like what you see and you're going to make an order, be sure you put in HISTORY15. That's the code that saves you 15% off your order at boldfoot.com. So thanks to them and welcome to the podcast. Marcus, you can't really get more divergent than the locations of the beginning of life for the two men we're discussing. And I think this is the first time we've ever had a pair of birthday twins who were both drummers. Woody Wood Mancy, born in Driffield, East Riding of Yorkshire. You know what that means in English terms? I have absolutely no idea. Could you translate that? fucking nowhere. <laughs> so he's a small town kid from England. Yeah. Uh, Yorkshire is like northeast, I think, of London. And then you spin on around to the middle of nowhere in the U.S. It's Coffeyville, Kansas, which is where Phil Ahart, the only drummer ever to play with Kansas. Well, this version of Kansas, which is one of the things we'll talk about. 
Phil Ahart in the drummer chair, one of two people, he and Rich Williams, the only people who have been on every Kansas album. But they were born, both to be drummers, half a world apart. Just to put it into perspective for people listening all over, Coffeyville, Kansas is down in southern Kansas near the Oklahoma right. border. It's a small right, town right. currently. North of Tulsa. Yeah, north of Tulsa and currently a population of 8,800, which means back then it was a lot smaller when that cat was born. But down in that yeah. area near the Kansas Missouri Oklahoma border there's this legend of the spook light and I heard a bunch of kids when I went to school at the University of Missouri talk about this ghost light that would appear on the road see it yep I sure do all right so we, we, we have already seen some flickers of the spook light can you see it in the camera uh, I don't know it's too far off it was I mean I can barely see it with the naked eye it's still there. Yep, there it is. There it is. And it would follow you late at night, and it would do circles, and it was crazy. And I don't know if they were pulling my tail or not, but there's this legend of this ghost light in, like, northeastern Oklahoma, southwestern Missouri, and that southeastern Kansas corner. And I never experienced it. It's supposed to be pretty freaky. If we ever get Phil on the podcast, we have to ask him about that. I think he would talk about that. So, one guy's a Midwest U.S. guy. One guy is a Northeastern England guy. They both become drummers, taking different paths, really. We want to talk about each of them, and it's easy for us. First off, we like both of them. We love their career paths, if you want to be honest about it. But especially in the case of one Michael Woody Woodmancy. We love him because he's part of the Spiders from Mars, the backbone of Bowie's most essential work in the 70s. Mm-hmm. Incredible musician that was very key to helping Bowie be launched into the super stratosphere of rock and roll. He couldn't have done it without the Spiders from Mars and without the musicians behind him because they played the music the right way. And their chemistry made such a huge difference in how the sound came out to all of us. They were a collective force of nature because Bowie played with different people before that. But before that, nothing as impactful as what he had happened for him in his career. Mm-hmm. Of course, he'd go on to change players, uh, being a chameleon himself, and go in different directions with different people. But this was essential for anyone trying to get into David Bowie's music for a long time to understand it. Just go to Ziggy and work your way back, then forward. It's a great way to give the Woody Woodmancy era of David Bowie a look, because I agree with you, starting with the rise and fall of Ziggy Stardust and the Spiders from Mars is the perfect place to start. But you can see what built up to that great album, and then you can see how it evolved from there. What they did was unbelievable as a band, and his sounds remarkable. At one point, Bowie changes everybody up pretty much, and he finds himself looking for something to do, and things start to pop up, including a reforming of the Spiders from Mars, which was a markedly different band. Uh, Mike Garson, who played with Bowie a bit, was in that band, and a couple other guys... 
I listened this week and I tried. I remember playing it in college radio and for some reason thinking it was good then. And when I listened through and listened to it thoroughly this time, I was like, man, this wasn't very good at all. But it got the spiders from Mars out of all their systems, the ones that stuck. I feel like he and Trevor Boulder got a real raw deal out of all of that at the end of the day. But Boulder went on to play with Uriah Heep for years and he yeah. had he had also had a good career. He did. Woody, though, kept running into issues. Like, okay, he formed a band called Woody Woodmancy's U-Boat. And like so many scenes, all the guys kind of knew each other and in some cases were interchangeable. But a guy like Rano, there was only one, Mick Ronson, right? Mm -hmm. So you weren't just going to replace him, but they tried to reform the band and do what they could. And these are guys that they were all friends with. So there was no big acrimony about it. Hell, uh, when he forms the U-boat and, uh, famously the sex pistols after hearing them said that they would be happy to open for them at the ill-fated 1976 Burstow festival. <laughs> They didn't last long. They yeah. gave it their best run, but, you know, it wasn't to be. And so, as often happens in rock and roll, uh, people move on. They do different things. They move on with their lives and their careers, right? That's true. And I'm glad that he was able to move on because we've seen how self-destructive the musicians are that hold on to that past and and live by the glory of that past without growing and moving forward. And he did. They all did. And while there was pain involved in that, it allowed them to take big steps forward. And some of the bands that uh, Woody played with were pretty impressive. He did a stint with a band called the Cybernauts. Hello, I'm Phil. Hi, I'm Woody. Hi, I'm Dick Decent. I'm Joe. I'm Trevor. We are the Cybernauts, and you are watching Masahito's Rock City. Then he and Trevor Boulder got to play with Joe Elliott and Phil Collin and Dick Decent on uh, right. They were all keyboardists. In that. It was yeah, kind of a cool thing, right? Yeah. So he got to do some stuff, and for Joe Elliott, that was huge because David Bowie is one of Joe Elliott's largest, greatest, most important influences, along with T Rex. So for him to be able to play with a couple of spiders from Mars had to have made him giddy like a schoolchild. Yeah. I mean, seriously, and they were a great rhythm section together. Were Trevor and Woody. And you can't yeah, they discount well any of it. If you listen to songs like uh, Moon Age Daydream, boy, did yeah. they sound great together. And the opening of Five Years is so beautiful. And then you have songs like Suffragette City and uh, Rock and Roll Suicide at the end of the album. You have Starman, which has such a beautiful feel and the importance of the rest of the band, especially Woody and Trevor in that song and making it great. So important. Oh, and so beautiful. They were all immersed in that whole thing, including uh, Woody doing an album with Dana Gillespie, who was one of Bowie's girlfriends famously, and uh, the album Weren't Born a Man in 1974. He was involved in that after the band went its merry way. He also did work with Art Garfunkel 
That must have been cool because Simon and Garfunkel was part of everything that went on over in England at that time. They all looked to them as part of the American thing. Oh, yeah. To be able to play behind somebody like Art Garfunkel, who is part of some incredible songs. stretch would Mancy has been teaming up with Tony Visconti uh, and this one needs no introduction other than this and their group holy holy paying tribute to Bowie and playing the packed houses a lot before COVID hit as I recall they really were catching on and for Wood Mancy this managed to keep him busy I guess you'd say for a long time pushing through the market A couple other people that are part of the Holy Holy group are Glenn Matlick, who is known for his work with the Sex Pistols before Sid Vicious, and then Clem Berg, drummer of Blondie, and Gary Kemp, the guitarist of Spando Ballet, who I know people know so true from all the cheesy 80s uh, alternative (laughs) romantic movies, but... He's a well-respected guitarist over from the 80s English period and pretty fantastic. Not that many people get to write their autobiography and tell it like it is, right? And he did that with a book called Spider from Mars, singular, My Life with David Bowie. I can understand, and I guess you could too, how having played an integral part of such an important part in rock and roll history, that stretch of the highway for David Bowie, It's got to always be looming out there. So telling the story about it must have been very exercising for Woody. Mm -hmm. And he seems like a pretty cool dude in his 70s now. Still has the stories. Still has the battle scars, right? Still goes out on the road and plays the tunes. Keep doing it, Woody. So he's growing up and coming up through the system in England When we come back from the break, we're going to go across the pond to the colonies, Marcus, to the prairies, where Missouri and Kansas and Oklahoma all meet. And we'll plug into Coffeyville, Kansas, and the story of Phil Ehart, who was also born on February 4th, 1950, on the Imbalanced History of Rock and Roll as we continue this episode of Birthday Twins. And we're welcoming a new sponsor to the podcast this week, Marcus, Boldfoot Socks, boldfoot.com. Thanks to Josh Law for joining up and being part of the support for what we do. Absolutely. 100% American made, grown here, sewn here. And the fact that he is a listener of the podcast and is why he reached out to us is huge so we thank josh for uh reaching out initially to have this conversation about boldfoot socks being a sponsor and we want to thank josh for his service because he's a veteran like so many members of his family who own the company boldfoot socks and five percent of all their profits go to veterans in need so he's giving back to his own community these socks are pretty solid they offer Three months of sock insurance, which means any issues in the first three months, you get a full refund. A full refund. So order those socks at boldfoot.com. And when you go there, save 15% if you're a listener of the Imbalance History Podcast by entering the promo code HISTORY15. HISTORY 
and the number one five. Again, boldfoot.com. Check out all their designs. And remember, 5% of all profits go to veterans in need. Family and veteran owned. Boldfoot Socks at boldfoot.com. A new year, a crooked eye, and a new slate of freshly brewed ales. And your favorites, right? Of course, the favorites always. I'm excited to try some of these new beers in 2022 as well because it's a new year. Try some new beer. See what's new in 2022 (laughs) at York and Montgomery in the heart of Hatboro. Always a good time to be had there. The live music, the events, the blues jam on Wednesday nights. And, of course, you not only can have the brews that are made right there on the premises by Jeffrey, but they've got Pennsylvania craft spirits and wine and just a good time to be had anytime you slide by Crooked Eye in the heart of Montgomery County and in the heart of Delco near you. That's right. Check out Jamie's House of Music. And they've announced a third place to get your Crooked Eye at Speed Raceway in Horsham, Pennsylvania. Always something happening, man. Always something going on behind the eye at Crooked Eye. And again, thanks to Crooked Eye and Boldfoot Socks for sponsoring the imbalanced history of rock and roll. Marcus and Ray back. Talking birthday twins, talking birthday drummer twins, which we've never had before. February 4th, 1950, in England, Woody Woodmancy. And uh, young Michael would become quite the drummer and get uh, a lot of people's attention. Meanwhile, across the ocean, in a little town in Kansas, as you pointed out, it must have been really small back in 1950. Oh, jeez. Uh, out there in the middle of nowhere, uh, not unlike Woodmancy's roots, Phil Ahart is born. Being the right age in the 60s to pick up the bug of progressive rock from what was going on in England, he became a big fan. In fact, for a while at one point, Phil moved to England to get the bug before realizing he already was where he needed to be. Back in Kansas, man. Plus, the British weren't exactly nice to him, and that was kind of discouraging because he expected a little more warmth and openness from the British music community, and being an American, he didn't uh, get a lot of warmth in return, and I think that made him sad. And being a Midwesterner, too, from a small town, you're warm and friendly. Much more, yeah. Absolutely. You know, I made a passing comment at the beginning of the podcast about how he wasn't the first drummer in Kansas. Truth be told, he's the only real drummer in Kansas. But when he met Steve Walsh, they were in a band called White Clover. Walsh had already had two different versions of Kansas already that he'd broken up. Yes. So, you know, imagine he's a kid and Steve Walsh is a brilliant guy, musically and in a lot of ways. He starts this band, Kansas, this is it, right? It's short of getting the tattoo on his forearm. This is it. Then he breaks up the band. Then he forms another band named Kansas. Now, this is the difference between being in the middle of Kansas and being in the middle of a scene, right? (laughs) There's nothing going on in Kansas. I'm breaking up the band. Two weeks later, hey, I'm reforming the band. Well, maybe you got a different player or somebody left and he got somebody new. So they're called White Clover when he meets Phil Ahart. 
What Kansas eventually becomes is the fusing of two bands. It was some of the key members of the band Kansas who were in the other band, so to speak, like Rich Williams and Carrie Livgren. When you put that together with Steve and Phil, you're talking about the basis, the backbone. Oh, yeah, Robbie Steinhardt was in there, too. He was in the White Clover, too. These guys helped to create their own vibe within the progressive realm, but with a Kansas flavor, with a Midwest flavor. Of all the bands that purported to be progressive in their style and approach from that era, they're the best long term. And Phil's been there for all of it. He's the only one besides... Uh... Rich, Rich Williams. Yep. Well, originally, you know, there were two guitar players. And Kerry Livgren, if you look at the history of the band, and we should sometime, uh, he was in and out. And so was Steve Walsh. But these two fellas kept it going. And you realize when you look closer at Phil and his family and what he does with what he earns from Kansas... He's fueling an, an entire community's response to autism based on his own experiences with his own family. And he's able to do all the things that he does because he continuously tours. This band is one of the most active of their generation. In the current lineup, they're one of the most active bands out there. And Phil Ahart has kind of been steering it for a long time, him and Rich. He's the one that always goes out and talks to all the radio people and does all the things you need to get done and keeps things going on the road. Just a, a, a driving force. And they've got great teammates now in the band, including Tom Brislin, uh, who's a Jersey guy. And you've got Ronnie Platt and David Ragsdale. Billy Greer's been there since the current you know, general formation of Kansas. Mm-hmm. So Phil and Rich have been together all these years. And I would wonder, as we often do when we talk about birthday twins, what interactions through the decades have Woody Woodmancy and Phil Ahart had? I would be willing to bet money that they've had an interaction or two and that they've met. When you've played that long at the level both of these two guys have played at, there has to be a place somewhere along the route that they have crossed paths, whether it be their bands playing at a festival or one guy going to see another band play, maybe even at a tribute or a birthday because they're both drummers. Maybe they played at like a Buddy Rich tribute you know, or something exactly. like that. So we have to find out. Well, I'll tell you one thing. I always look at where we get our resources and information from. And the research team really does a great job of feeding us all the info that they can find, too. But I did notice that Wikipedia didn't really get it right on this on this little merger thing that we were talking about. The band that Kerry Livgren was kind of leading before joining Kansas was called Reasons Why. Mm. And they were from Topeka, which is where Kansas really was formed. It says that they changed their band's name to Kansas, then merged with White Clover. And there's no mention here of Steve's band, the two previous bands named Kansas. So uh, maybe they didn't get it all quite right, you know. But that's what happened. These guys were out there and there wasn't a scene. There were a couple bands, right? And when it came down to it, they realized that together the four or five of them would be way better than if they were trying to both slog it out on their own. True, and I find it very interesting that that corner of the country had a very big progressive rock scene as well because it's not very highly populated. So where were they getting the music from? One of the college stations in the area? How were they hearing about some of these bands that were influencing them? 
Song for America was amazing, like a rock mixed with symphonic bluegrass and a jazzy groove. Can I put an idea out there that maybe helps to explain it for you? Absolutely. So you got these two bands. They're the hot guns in town, and and they kind of merge their thing, you know? And if you look at the way Kansas kind of rolled with it over the years, the way they evolved and changed, a lot of time, it, it was conflict within the magic or the beauty of it all, right? And at the same time, what they had that I have always said is what was the distinction between them and so many other bands and helped not only make their unique sound, but create that unique progressive vibe that you're talking about. And that is Robbie Steinhardt. He added a vocal layer, his violin playing, his all string playing. Just amazing because he could do all that. You didn't have to go have guys figure out how to play this shit. He was one of the guys making the shit. He knew what was going on. He's in there with Walsh and Williams and Livren. And when you get down to it, they're all working very closely together. And that's why Phil is such an essential part of it. And Robbie Steinhardt just passed away this year in July from acute pancreatitis. So we lost an important rock and roller this year. His playing, though, always essential to the sound of the band and... I'm not sure we've got somewhere in here the list of band members who played what, when, but that's a tough one to work around. People work around a lot of stuff like we've talked about, mm -hmm. um, but he hadn't been on the road with the band for a while since 2006, and that was his second stint. This is the thing about Kansas. The way they've merged and emerged and reemerged. Mm -hmm. You know, amoebaed and split and then come back together. It, it really is very much like uh, a lot of other progressive bands that we've begun to to chronicle here on the podcast. I, I just want to mention the, the addition of Steve Morris back in the 80s. All these guys then and now all get to play with the great Phil Ahart. So. Some cool stuff. And this history is really interesting. Like Steve Walsh, did he just retire from music and completely in 2014? Just said, you know what? It's time for me to chill. I think Steve's an interesting character that requires more than a two-line answer. So let's take some time, some time, and do a full in-depth episode about all these crazy characters. And we can find out more about Steinhardt and his training, Steve Walsh and his points of view. Uh, and same with Kerry Livrin. He is kind of like the Marlena Dietrich, you know, I want to be alone. But he was also a, a masterful writer and performer. So let's take some time one time and talk about Kansas. But for now, let's just say Phil Ahart, like any good leader, is trying to get the troops back out on the road. Uh, a lot of the bands of the 70s now are trying to get back in COVID safety for the protection of the band and the fans and the crew. Uh, it's Phil's job to really get them out there. And when they go out, make sure you know about it. And if you're a Kansas fan or a weed head, as they like to be called, uh, then you know they're coming to town. And that's... I would say one of the things those two drummers have in common, Wood Mancy wants you to know if he's going out with Holy Holy, you know, and he really still enjoys getting out there at age 71. Phil 
is a much more, uh, it's a active drummer. So he seems more youthful, but he and, and Woody are the same age. Obviously, they're birthday twins. <laughs> <laughs> it's always good to talk about crazy shit like this with you, my brother. Talking about the birthday twins, the drummer twins that are Woody Woodmancy and Phil Ahart. What do you say we wrap things up? Uh, invite public comment, you think? Or do you think anybody's really going to have much to say about this? I hope so. And if Phil Ahart is uh, listening or anybody in the Phil Ahart camp listens, could you please ask Phil the size of Coffeeville, Kansas during his childhood? I'm going to guess or, about or, 2,000 or so. Or even better, imbalancedhistory at gmail.com. You can have uh, Phil or you can reach out to us for Phil and set it up so he can come on the podcast and we can talk about Coffeeville in the uh, Andy Griffith, Mayberry, RFD type days. And, and of course, uh, Kansas and everything else in rock and roll in his life. It would be awesome to have him on. He's a very nice guy. I've met him once or twice and he's just a really charming guy and loves to talk about music and loves the band he's in. And that's why we love him, too. Uh, first time seeing Kansas at the Philadelphia Air Conditioned Spectrum a long time ago. I'll just say that nice. uh, on the second album tour. So good stuff. So till the next time we get together to crack the mic and have a good time talking about drummers that are born on the same day on different continents or anything else. Let's sign off from the Dark Doc Studios. I'm Ray Coob. I'm Marcus Goldman. And we've been talking birthday twins on the imbalanced history of rock and roll. Coming soon, R&B in the 70s, part two on the imbalanced history of rock and roll. It's really about the rest of the story that we didn't tell in part one. And we'll be talking about artists that we didn't talk about in the first part, including Curtis Mayfield and the Impressions, Earth, Wind, and Fire, Isaac Hayes. And we'll dig into artists that we barely touched on, like the Delphonics, the Spinners, and the Stylistics. More soul, more funk. More groove in R&B in the 70s, part two. Releasing February 21st, wherever you get your podcasts and on the Pantheon Podcast Network.